Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you call us your beloved children. Help us to see you as our loving Heavenly Father and help us to understand how the power of the Spirit has brought us into your eternal family. For Jesus' sake, amen. God's peace to you, friends. We are continuing our sermon series today entitled The Power-Packed Life. And we've been uh, taking a look at the book of Romans, St. Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, where he talks about what it means to live the power-packed life. And today's focus is on the power of the Spirit, that is, the Holy Spirit. We're going to be digging into Romans chapter 8, selected verses, in just a few moments. When we think about the power of the Holy Spirit, we certainly recognize that the Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways. He works as He wishes. He does things in His own unique way. But we also are grateful that in the Scriptures, we are pointed to specific ways that the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit works powerfully, for example, through the message of the cross. The message of the cross. The message of the gospel, the good news message about Jesus who died for us upon the cross. We came across this verse very early on in the book of Romans where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, the message of the cross, for at the cross my sins were paid for. At the cross I experienced forgiveness. At the cross I'm assured of salvation through faith in Jesus who died there for me and for you. The Holy Spirit works powerfully through that message. And through God's Word, the Holy Spirit is at work changing hearts and lives of people like you and me and others around us. He works through the Word to change lives. We call it the Bible, of course, and the Bible uh, first and foremost shows us who our Savior is. It shows us what Jesus is all about and why He came into this world. The Bible also, however, shows us how we are to live as God's people. It means, of course, that you and I need to take our Bibles off the shelf and actually open them up and read them, right? Dust them off a little bit and and actually spend time studying our Bibles. I want to encourage us to take some time, if possible every day, even just a short portion, to read and meditate on the meaning of God's Word for our lives for that day. It allows the Holy Spirit to do one of His jobs, and that is to be the teacher to enlighten our minds and hearts on the meaning of the Word of God for us and apply it to our lives. We also experience the power of the Spirit in Holy Communion, as we will next Sunday. When we gather together to receive Holy Communion, it's more than just bread and wine we take in. God, the Holy Spirit, assures us that when We take communion, we're receiving the true body and blood of Jesus present in that bread and wine in a miraculous way and that it brings us the forgiveness of sins that Jesus earned for us when he died on the cross. Holy communion is a wonderful gift of God to assure us that we are forgiven and to empower us to live 
the power-packed life. It's another way we experience the power of the Spirit. But I would guess that for many of us, our first experience of the power of the Spirit came in our baptism. For there in our baptism, God the Holy Spirit descended upon us, taking that water connected to the promise of God. The Holy Spirit took up residence in our heart, planted saving faith within us, washed away our sins, and assured us that from that point forward we were children of God. We were members of His family. Peter preached about the power of baptism on that Pentecost Sunday years ago. It tells us in Acts chapter 2, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So today we're talking about the power of the Spirit. And today we're going to move into Romans chapter 8. Selected verses from that chapter. We're going to see what Paul has to say about the power of the Spirit and and how that works in our lives. Today I, I want to narrow it down to two major takeaways that we can take with us from the service this morning from chapter 8 of Romans. And the first takeaway is this. By the power of the Spirit, we receive our true identity. By the power of the Spirit, we receive our true identity. Over the years that I've been a pastor, I've become convinced that one of the basic fundamental questions that every person on this planet is asking themselves is this. Who am I? It's a question of identity. Whether they ever verbalize it or not, everybody wrestles with that question. Who am I really? In relation to this world and everything around me, who am I? I think a lot of people really struggle with issues pertaining to their identity. And there are any number of voices out out there that would offer an alternative identity for us. Voices that aren't always trustworthy. But St. Paul in Romans 8 reminds us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive our true identity. Listen to the way he says it, starting in verse 14. He says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Wow. Such powerful words that speak about our true identity that we receive by the power of the Spirit, and that is that He makes us children of God, that He puts us into a relationship with our heavenly Father by which we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term. Basically, it's the equivalent of Daddy. It indicates close relationship between child and parent. We now can call God our dear Father, for we are children of God. 
And Paul uses two concepts in this section related to being children of God. He mentions adoption and he mentions inheritance. Let's take each of those. Adoption. When we become children of God, we are adopted by him into his eternal family. You know, when you think about adoption, that is such a powerful concept, isn't it? That parents would intentionally choose a child and make that child a member of their family going forward. What love. Nine years ago, my younger brother Dean and his wife Leah began the process of adopting a child. They had been involved for quite a few years already in support of a Christian orphanage in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, They've been very involved through their church in supporting this Christian orphanage. In fact, my brother, who was a home builder, helped add on some buildings to the facility at this orphanage. And on a number of their visits, they would see these children being adopted. But on one particular visit, they noticed one little girl that was not getting adopted. Her name was Marina. And Marina would see other children younger than her getting families and being adopted and moving out of the orphanage, and and she wasn't. Part of the issue there is that Marina is Afro-Ecuadorian, and many of the Ecuadorian people will not adopt someone of a mixed race. And so she got skipped over again and again and again. Well, my brother and his wife met little Marina. And this is a photo of Marina at the orphanage when she was four years old. My brother and his wife fell in love with Marina and they decided she was the one that they were going to adopt. It took quite a while, but then in August of 2009, they brought Marina to their home in California. They have two older children, and the entire family warmly welcomed Marina into their family and love her so very much. I can tell you that that father, pictured on the screen, my brother, absolutely loves all three of his children the same. My niece is very, very special to him. Just a few weeks ago, Marina and her parents made a trip back to Quito, back to the orphanage, so that Marina could see the place from, which, from whence she came. I can tell you for sure, she does not want to go back being an orphan again. She loves having a family. It just so happens that today, August 6th, is her 13th birthday. I'm going to call her a little later on and uh, wish her a happy birthday. Isn't adoption an amazing thing? What love for parents to choose a child and make that child theirs. Friends, that's what God has done for you and me. God has adopted us into his eternal family and calls us his own children. By the power of the Spirit, you see, we've been made members of his family, children of God, a brand new identity, adopted as his. Paul also tells us that what this involves is then an inheritance. Think about that, an inheritance. He says it this way, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Think about that. You are a child 
of the king of the universe, which means you inherit everything he owns. Wow. Could there be a better inheritance awaiting us than all that God has to give us? And the Holy Spirit, you see, guarantees our inheritance. Paul tells us this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1. He writes this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He guarantees our inheritance. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is God's deposit on us. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment on your life and mine. And that's not an empty action. It guarantees that what he promised is going to be brought to its fulfillment ultimately in heaven as he brings us home. So this is the first big takeaway. By the the power of the Spirit, friends, we receive our true identity as children of God, adopted with an inheritance to come. The second big takeaway from Romans chapter 8 is this, that by the power of the Spirit, we can face suffering with real hope. We can face suffering with real hope. To be sure, you know as well as I that uh, life on this planet is not always easy. It comes with its share of disappointments, yes, even suffering. And even those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who know that heaven awaits us, are not immune to the sufferings of this life, are we? We experience pain as well. When St. Paul is writing this letter, he has a specific type of suffering in mind. Keep in mind, he's, he's writing to the Christians in the city of Rome during the time when the Roman Empire was persecuting followers of the Christ. That kind of suffering he has in mind. Persecution on account of one's faith in Jesus Christ. And he basically is saying that by the power of the Spirit, we can face our suffering with real hope. I don't know what kind of suffering you may be going through. I don't know what kind of ridicule you're taking for your faith. But Paul wants us to understand that by the power of the Spirit, we can face that suffering with real hope. He says it this way, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He writes about Christian hope. And Christian hope is a whole lot different than what most people think of when they speak of hope. You know, for many people, hope is an empty wish. They say, well, I hope that that comes true. I'm wishing for it, but I don't really know for certain. That is not Christian hope. 
Christian hope involves a certainty, a definiteness, a knowing for certain that what God has promised is going to come true. That is Christian hope. And so you can see the connection between faith and hope. Hope leads to something definite. And in Romans 8 verse 11 in our text, Paul spells out the foundation of our hope. Listen to what he says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Isn't that amazing? The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us, inside of you. And on the last day, he will raise us back to life as well. That is certain. That is our Christian hope. And so our ultimate hope rests on the promise of resurrection. That's the foundation of our hope. But you know, facing suffering with hope is not only something for the future. It's not only something that we look forward to down the road when Jesus comes again or whenever he takes us home to heaven. No, Paul goes on to tell us that the Spirit helps us right now in whatever we're facing. In fact, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit even intercedes for us. Isn't that an amazing concept? The Holy Spirit prays to the Heavenly Father on our behalf. Listen to the way he says it. Verses 26 to 28, Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Wow. Have you ever been in such a dilemma that you didn't even know what to pray for? Over my years of ministry, I've ministered to people who wrestle with that very issue. Pastor, I don't even know what to pray for in this situation. My aging parent is close to dying. Do I pray that he or she dies? Do I pray for a miracle? I don't even know how to pray. What do I pray for? Or I'm wrestling with this issue. I don't even know how to bring that to God. I don't even know what to pray. God, the Holy Spirit, understands all of that. And He acts as our advocate to the Father. You see, the Holy Spirit knows our deepest needs and concerns and our weaknesses. He interacts inside of us, in our soul. He interacts with our spirit and knows exactly the deepest groanings within us. And He brings all of that to the Father and asks our loving Heavenly Father to respond. And don't you know that God, our Heavenly Father, receives all of that with joy and is eager to help. After all, You know, fathers dearly love their adopted children. 
And likewise, friends, your heavenly Father dearly loves you. That brings us to the very end of chapter 8. At the end of this chapter, St. Paul says these marvelous words. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch it? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, nothing stops God from loving us. And it's the Holy Spirit who has made all of that ours personally by faith. And so, friends, by the power of the Spirit, always remember that you have received your true identity from God. Identity as a child of God. You've been adopted into His eternal family. And you are assured an eternal inheritance that no one can take away. And secondly, recall that by the power of the Spirit, you can face whatever suffering you face with real hope. Real hope that is not only beyond the grave, but real hope in knowing that God the Spirit is with you right now, bringing your needs to the Father, and your dear Father truly cares. And so may the Spirit who is alive in you help you live a power-packed life. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.